millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 259 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Mark Rubin on the line from San Jose, California. All righty then. So we'll start off with some fact check. Uh, last week we were talking about TIFF, which is the, uh, I was talking about going to the TIFF Lightbox, which is a theater run by, in conjunction with the TIFF group, which is not the to- uh, Toronto, what did you say, in Toronto Independent Film Festival? You know, it's the Toronto International Film Festival. Oh, that makes me have to let me let me fact check because I was thinking it was like the CIF, which I think is Seattle Independent. But let me see. Maybe, maybe. So TIFF is like the big. It's the big deal here, where a lot of films get get premiered. A lot of stars come up for uh, a week in September, and they have this. You know, they take up all the theaters across you know Toronto area, and they show big gala presentations and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's really hard to get a ticket and all that kind of stuff. But like that is a whole. You know. They close off King Street downtown and, and the stars, you know, do the whole, you know, meet and greet with the fans and things like that, right? So lots of tuxedos, that kind of stuff. Yeah, now that I look it up, the SIF is Seattle International Film Festival. It's very similar. Well, this is international, yeah. So, that, that would yeah. make sense. I thought it was independent, but I guess the I is for international. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also an All old right. uh, photography format, like digital photography format. Tip. <laughs> TIFF, yeah. yeah. Uh, ta- what's that? No, it was it? It was, uh, what did you say it was? An old video, uh, digital photography format. TIFF? Yeah. It's tagged image file format. Right, sure. And JPEG is Joint Expert joint expert Photography Group. There you go. Which is also another photo standard. Anywho, um, yeah. So uh, my first uh, thing I put up here is a bit of follow-up on what we were talking about last week. You guys were talking last week about the uh, Siri uh, OS. And uh, there's an article here from the Times of India, one of many, I'm sure, that covered this particular story, that uh, they were sort of postulating that since Apple's getting into all these different, uh, they're sort of homogenizing all of their OSs into one sort of thing, and but the iPad OS got spun out as their own thing, and 
I guess formulating the idea that they've been spending a lot of time, according to this article, um, based on voice-based assistant Siri and building a lot of things around voice commands. And so they thought that, you know, somebody came up with the idea that maybe Siri OS would be a new OS coming out. But I don't know if I, I don't know if I uh, buy that because, you know, Google Assistant and, and uh, uh, Alexa uh, from, from Amazon, they seem to be, in my opinion, a little bit more advanced than Siri. What do you think? I think. Well, sure. I mean, that maybe that's why they making an effort to to advance it a little bit to beef it up yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah it, it i don't know i it so i have uh, long time fans of the show may know i have an apple home pod and uh amazon echo show and a google home and yeah uh they've all got their strengths and weaknesses um i don't think in general that siri is deficient you know obviously compared to the others in terms of typical stuff you might want to do typical stuff you might want to ask uh, it is definitely weaker on the integration standpoint and this is for sure amazon strength like by far and then sort of a, a very very far behind number two is google who still has a fair amount and then way down like me and usain bolt racing each other that's me in the back that's siri in terms of number of integrations right and it's it's cool to be able to do things with you know siri kit and have other stuff connect to the phone but it's it's nice on privacy uh, as, as an aside but it's definitely a real sort of bottleneck in terms of being able to do something that is um you know tied to the device that's in your home and is you know more independent of that and if they do make a siri os where you could have software that can run um from the home pod uh, independent of having an iphone or an ipad or any other sort of device around i think that'd be great i think very similar to the way that they've made um strides to have the apple watch be more and more independent i would like to see Siri OS be something that makes Siri more independent of the devices that it happens to be on. And in particular, since I'm a fan, make the HomePod a little bit more independent. Hmm. Yeah, well, my experience is that, uh, so up until recently, we only had a Google Home in the house and all my Siri devices, like my watches and and stuff. And, and you know, we Carol and I both use, you know, Hey Siri all the time. Sorry, folks. Um <laughs> And, uh, but, uh, we've, uh, since the Amazon prime came by the prime, big prime day sale, we just, uh, we just got ourselves our first Alexa and, um, you know, at a good price and we retired our uh, Google home. So, and so far Alexa has been much more uh, amenable to what we want to do. No home pod yet. By the way, have you guys been hit by this Hey Siri and the TV commercial thing yet? Um, no, you mean like, a- I can't do that from here. <laughs> like as that. an example, it's like real time <laughs> follow up right, yeah, happening right yeah, there. Yeah. Or does, like they say, Hey Siri, and then your your in uh, one of the new Apple commercials, they say yeah. they say those words, and uh, it it turns on my HomePod to some just random music at full volume. Really? Yeah. Oh wow! This is a known thing. They, they you can you can find that on the web. People are talking about it. Oh, which commercial is that? Because I, I must not have seen that commercial. Uh, I couldn't tell you which one it is because it's usually it, it's I'm not paying attention to the commercial, and then suddenly there's music playing and. I found out it was because of uh, because of this just by going online and figuring out what was going on. Hmm, that's so crazy. it's one of the Apple commercials. I could probably look it up. That's that's hilarious because it, you know it does happen from time to time with commercials that are you know not from the provider itself because. Uh, like the the big example that was driving me nuts uh, last uh, last fall was uh, the NFL's like on NBC Monday night uh, no um, 
NBC Sunday Night Football, I think. It would be like, oh, hey, Siri, you know, tell me, you know, the current playoff schedule or, or whatever it was they were trying or fantasy football scores or something. And it would trigger the device. I'm like, are, are you kidding me? They, they have signals that you can put in the audio so that the smart assistants don't realize or recognize that it's not a true command. Oh, and, really? Hmm. And, and if I expect that out of like the NFL and NBC, I really expect it out of Apple to put it in its own dang commercial. That's hilarious that like <laughs> somebody in the marketing department uh, forgot to do that. So I have seen this commercial now that you mentioned it, Mark. Yeah. He, he says, hey, personal assistant, play me something new. And then he starts dancing, right? Yeah. 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 I've seen that commercial, but it, it doesn't trigger my devices. But, you know, then again, I don't have a HomePod. Yeah. So. My HomePod sits right by my TV. So. Oh, okay. It, right, it, right. it hears it. Oh, huh, that's funny. Yeah. Hopefully. Funny. They yeah, sorry for soon, by the way. <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the next, you know, revision of that commercial. Yeah, we don't have to apologize to Fawad anymore because he doesn't, he doesn't listen to the show much. Apologize to him for what? Well, we used to say, here's, hey, Siri, all the time. Like, I can't do that because I'm going to edit it and it's going to cut the space oh, out as well. Oh, but it's through headphones. So, it, well, I mean, for me, it's okay. No, he listens. He used to listen when he was driving. And and every time we said those magic words, oh. his uh, his stereo or his devices would change. So uh, yeah, can, yeah, it was like the worst possible time for that to be happening too. You know, yeah. it's, it's a minor inconvenience while I'm sitting on my couch. And it's one thing mm-hmm. if you're hurtling down the highway at like sixty miles an hour, two ton yeah, yeah, chunk yeah. of metal. So I think he was going fifty five. Don't accuse him of speeding. You know, and here uh, I was thinking, oh, you know, realistically, it's going to be like 80, right? Like, you, you go, <laughs> I, I don't know what, like, parts of the country were there, but there are big swaths of Texas that have, like, once you get out of the city limits, it's like 80, 70 at least, 80. Um, are those so parts just, of, like, the country where you could watch your dog run away for three days? That, that part, yes, yes. <laughs> away yeah. away from the mountainous area, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he used to have, uh, I think he used to work, he lives somewhere in the D.C. area and used to have, like, a long commute, so he used to listen to our show, but... Not so much if he listens to it anymore. We'll find out. Maybe he'll follow up with us. Let us know. Ask us. Ask pound. Ask MTJC. Uh, anywho, um, follow, moving on. We have uh, another follow up from last week. We were talking about when were we talking about Steve? Oh, we were talking about uh, in relation to uh, uh, Batman, right? Um, Michael Keaton. Whether Steve Jobs stole his clothing from uh, his clothing, his black polo shirt and or black turtleneck and uh, jeans from from Michael Keaton's Batman, and uh, there's an article I found here called "The Evolution of Steve Jobs' Clothing" and uh, it shows pictures of Steve Jobs from 1998 to 2011 uh, in various stages of wearing a black turtleneck and jeans. However, I did find a couple of images from uh, just a bit of, uh, of fake news kind of stuff. Found a couple of images of Steve Jobs from the early days, like 96 and 97, when he came back to Apple in 98, when he's at the keynote wearing a white turtleneck and, or even a grandfather collar and a black vest sort of thing. Um, but this article's got a picture of, of Steve Jobs from the earlier day, early days when, you know, they first started Apple and when they started putting him in suits to sell Apples and Macs and uh, that kind of stuff. So kind of interesting little essay of, of Steve Jobs, but. It was the thing at the time. I, I threw in our own little slack. I threw Michael Keaton, Batman Returns, 1992. Right, yeah. uh, I didn't do further research to see if he was wearing, you know, blue jeans underneath. But, you know, the one would assume, yeah. the look was very similar, at least, you know. So what year did that movie come out, time. though? 92, I think. If oh, I, really? I well, how about that? Hmm. There you go. Hmm. Suspicious, suspicious. Tim Burton set in the trend. Yeah, maybe Tim Burton can uh, sue Apple or something for appropriating his... Uh, <laughs> for trade dress. His trade dress, yeah, yeah. All right, moving on. Um, yeah, so I, this is a piece I found for you guys. Good news: the Apple Cart, which we Apple Card, which we talked about last week, um, not to be confused with the Apple Cart, 
uh, is coming to you guys sometime in August, apparently. And uh, you'll be able to decide whether you want to just have the Apple Card service itself or if you want to have a titanium card. So I guess the question for you guys is, are you guys going to get the titanium card to carry in your wallet? Um, probably not. Come on, Jaime. Really? I'm, I'm actually surprised. that I, I will, of course, get the titanium card, even though the software services side of it is something that's kind of more interesting to me. But uh, the the sleek metal, clinky metal card, I think, is, is going to be interesting one to mm-hmm. have in my wallet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I wonder if it'll be painted like the original titanium Max, which were which eventually the paint wore off, right? I hope for their case not, because you know people at, uh, you know, we're going to have this in the show notes for those of you driving at home, uh, this article linked from The Verge. People from The Verge are almost certainly going to run it with, like, sandpaper and things to see if they scratch through it, right? Well, they get that nice patina look that uh, myself and Joe Trapinski like, right? I think that looks good on leather and might look good on metal if you're going for, like, a lived-in original Star Wars trilogy look. I have my doubts as to whether it would look good on the metal card, though. Yeah, well, when you're an old-school developer like me and you've got you've had your, your uh, Apple card for 20 years, you might you know it might be proud to pull it out with all its battle scars, you know? All, all the WWDCs <laughs> you paid for with it and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And Max, you dropped on it, right? All right. Well, so there you go. Sometime in August. And what else is next? So we have something for Mark here. Yeah, this is kind of an interesting article from CNBC uh, titled... Let me get the exact title here. Titled, Apple stock gains the last four years prove, quote, financial engineering, unquote, via buybacks works. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of interesting, interesting if you're interested in the stock market and and how companies can sustain their stock price even through lean times or bad times. So so there's no doubt that the past couple of years have been, in some ways, a little bit rough for Apple, right? We know that the that the phone sales have been down, uh, and we'll hear about more of that in a minute. Uh, but uh, this is something that you know clearly Apple has known about and known is coming for years. At least if they if they are uh, you know if, if they are smart about their business, they they certainly knew this. So they kind of had a uh, a problem on their hands of of how do they maintain the value the shareholder value for the shareholders uh, through these lean times, and they happen to you know be in a situation where they had tons of cash on their hands, as we know. So they were able to do some what's called financial engineering, which is buying back the stock, raising the dividend, doing things like that, uh, and and have been remarkably successful at it. So even though there have been some dips and the downtimes, the stock is still you know fairly close to its all-time high now, uh, even though things haven't been growing as fast as they used to or, or they haven't been blowing the doors out in their earnings announcements like they used to. And there's kind of an interesting chart here uh, in the CNBC article that shows uh, what was happening in fiscal year 2015 versus fiscal year 2019 estimated. And they showed the revenue has, has only gone up from $231 billion to $258 billion, which is, you know, just a little bit, a uh, little bit over 10%, right? Not too much more than that. Still in the billions, uh, if, though. If even, well, of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, no one's saying it's going down, but the stock market is all about growth, right? So it didn't, it didn't grow. Net income went up from $53.3 billion to $53.8 billion. So it was pretty much flat uh, for the most part. But the interesting thing is the earnings per share went from 922 to 1151. That and what is the earnings per share? That's earnings per share is 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 a really important metric for evaluating how a stock is doing or a company is doing. And a lot of t- a lot of people think that the stock price is actually the indicator, but it's really not because it's 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 really the the stock price per unit of stock that that is out there. That's really the important thing as an investor. Because if you if you own if you own 100 shares uh, and suddenly somehow 
somehow they cut the total number of shares out that uh, that exist out there by a half, you owe twice you own twice as much of the company as a percentage that you did before. Oh, I see. So assuming the value of the company didn't change, your 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 investment has now doubled just from nothing happened except the stock going away. So earnings per share is actually a much better indicator than than uh, price. And they even talk about price per share, the PE ratio, price per earnings ratio, which is the price per share divided by the earnings per share. And it's a good good ratio of how well it's doing. Uh, so so they were able to get their earnings per share up. And it, it, even in the even in the sake of all these, even in the midst of all this stuff, you know, not being great in terms of the business, uh, by reducing the number of shares by from 5.8 billion to 4.6 billion. So something on the order of 20%. Uh, and that made the, and also they raised the dividend per share. Well, the, that comes from two things. They have been raising the dividend, but but also, you know, the number of shares went down. So the dividend per share uh, potentially went up from that if they, maybe or maybe not, that it's, it, it's mixed. But the dividends per share went from $1.98 to $2.97. Uh, and the last item in the in the chart is the number of employees went from 110,000 to 132,000. So their fixed costs are going up. You know, it, their payroll is going up and all that. Uh, and yet they were still able to improve the performance of the stock just by using their, their cash in kind of a, an intelligent way. Well, from the point of view of, of managing the shareholder equity. Uh, now some would argue that it's, they should have taken that money and invested it into new, uh, new products and things like that. And that's a, that's a different argument. But, but given the, you know, given the assumption that, that they decided that wasn't practical or, or that wasn't going to pay off in the long, in the short term, they were still able to use that cash wisely to to keep the shareholder equity. Up. So it's kind of an interesting article to read uh, if you're interested in this kind of thing and help you understand a little bit, you know, about the business side of of running of running a, a giant company like this, where shareholder expectations are pretty important. So what's the TLDR of, of like the whole buyback strategy? Is it to basically make the individual stocks have more value and per, be more performant? Is that the idea, or or yeah, is it just so, to take them out of the market? Well, you take them out of the market because the the value the value of the company which is the market the total value of the company is called the market capitalization uh, so that of course that does change but that changes sort of slowly so if you reduce the number of shares then the total value per share the total value each share is worth goes up because you take the total market capitalization divided by the number of shares that's the value per share or the price per right. okay. price per per share uh, so so you can so you can keep the value of the company uh, for an investor up by reducing these. It makes it it makes it more it makes it more interesting for an investor to buy a share of stock today because if Apple's going to reduce the number of shares, so you you buy one share of stock, you own you know point point oh whatever zero 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 one percent of the company, whatever it is. But then they reduce the number of shares, so all of a sudden you own right more of the twice that much. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden your investment has gone up without you doing anything. Right. right. So it's an incentive for people to buy the stock and hold the stock. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, and it it, it helps so many different things. I mean, it you know keeps investors from being angry and doing you know activist type things that disrupt your your company's direction. But yep. as mentioned here in the article, the I would not you know underrate the impact it has on retention. So if you're paying people and sure you know base salary and then you're like but you also get all this cool stock like that stock needs to continuously be worth something otherwise somebody's taking an effective pay cut and they become interested in working somewhere else oh i see right yeah cool cool stuff all right well moving on to the, the what mark alluded to um 
Yesterday was the, uh, I guess, the earnings call or the the um, announcement of uh, what they've done. And um, the articles here and, I, and some of the news I heard, I was watching PBS yesterday because I was watching a bunch of space stuff about the moon landings and stuff. But on the, their nightly report, uh, they said that even though, you know, as we've been talking about, iPhone sales are down, the, the investors are still sort of, as it says here, shrugging off the, 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 the slump in sales because the, the company's doing so much better, you know, in just in terms of earnings from other services that we've talked about in the past, like, you know, um, the online services that they're offering as well, right? Because, I mean, even the, the shares went up, I mean, overnight, like after the after the stock market closed, it, it went up another t- almost $10, I believe, right, per share? I haven't looked at the price yeah, today, I think, actually. I think some of the analysis um, I saw was kind of interesting. Like, on the, on the one hand, iPhone is uh, under 50% for the first time in, like, seven years or something, I 50% think. 50% of their sales? Uh, 50% of uh, revenue, I want to say. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, which on the one hand could be viewed as a tank. I was like, oh, no, it's tanking. But uh, for a long time, people have been very worried. It's like, oh, no, iPhone is, like, 75% of revenue, you know, whenever year that was like Apple's a one trick pony and they're, mm-hmm. they're diversifying, which should make their, you know, their results a little bit less uh, swingy and, and streaky, um, a little bit more solid, especially as they've grown the services business with subscriptions and other things. Sure. Um, but there's more than just, you know, extracting more, uh, more revenue out of people with stuff like, you know, Apple news plus and Apple TV plus. Um, uh, the thing that came out of this is that their wearable stuff is doing pretty well. Um, you know, Apple Watch is doing pretty well. The second version or second generation of the AirPods is doing pretty well. So they're adding, uh, even if not necessarily new customers, they're adding more value per customer, uh, even on a non-recurring basis. So still showing that it's not just a, oh yeah, okay, well, you know, they'll have this slow linear growth that looks like they can still do, yeah, not iPhone sized jumps, but still pretty sizable jumps on additional hardware and cool stuff that they can sell to people. Hmm. Cool. Mark, anything? Uh, yeah, nothing really to add there. It's it, it it makes complete sense as as you guys were saying that you know they this has been a long time coming and they've been they've been you know trying to do what they can to to switch the uh, to move the revenue around from the phone to to the other products and and it looks like they're they're having success. Cool. All right. Yeah. And, and, and as a, as a as a spoiler for the future, uh, I think they'll kind of need it because you know I was looking at my iPhone 10 and then yeah, rumors we've we've talked about you know over the last several weeks at least about the new uh, upcoming iPhone. I'm like, I will caveat by saying I am fully able to change my mind come September. I'm not going to lock in my, my pick yet. But right now, I'm like, if you told me, since I'm not in the on the upgrade program, would I upgrade? It's 50-50 at the moment, even though I'm on the, um, you know, it's been two years since I've had this iPhone 10, so it's kind of naturally time for me to, to upgrade. There's enough interest in me thinking, hmm, maybe, maybe I'll get 5G in a 2020 iPhone. Maybe I can just stick this out one more year um or maybe this is the year i jump in the on the upgrade program and say forget it like i'll just always upgrade every year yeah yeah that's an interesting point because i'm sort of in the same boat that um i mean i have an iphone 10s right now but but technically i have an iphone 10 that's two years into it it's coming up on its two years so it's it's eligible to be upgraded but you know, I went from an iPhone 6 to uh, a 10, and, um, you know, so I survived three years without upgrading my phone. Um, I did have access to phones, so I didn't really feel the need to do it, per se. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm probably in this, I'm probably less, probably more like 30-70 in terms of whether I would upgrade to a new phone this year. In fact, now that I've heard, and that's a good point you brought up, that 5G is coming in, in 2021, right? 
um, maybe that maybe the thing to do is hold out and see what happens uh, with the next phone rather than the iPhone 11, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe, or the other thing I brought up, like, maybe just jumping on the upgrade program. And... Yeah, we don't have that here outside the United States, you know. <laughs> oh, is that right? Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, we, we do, we do have international a, friendly. Rogers has a, Rogers has a program, and I'm sure Bell has, but uh, it's, it's similar, but not equivalent to the, to the Apple upgrade program. There's, there's, it's a bit of, there's a bit of a cost to it, right? Beyond, like, Apple's just basically taking, I think, the value of the, of the device and breaking it up over a two-year payment, right, kind of thing? Like, doesn't that math work out that way? Yeah, it's got yeah. Apple Care in there as well. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But, that, you know, that's really weird. So I wonder what the reason is for it not being available in uh, more countries. I'm sure it's to, it, it, it has to do with the like, carriers, right? Because they have to be involved in it somehow, right? So they're, like, you can get a, you can get a, I think, an iPhone XR practically for zero dollars or very, very little dollars um and that you know i've been i've been using an iphone 10 hour for an extended reason which i can't get into but uh over the last couple of weeks and i it's amazing the battery like lasts and lasts and lasts like like they say you know so i've been i've been using my iphone 10s and a 10r at the same time and and uh, mind you i don't have my 10r connected to my watch which i think is another another battery hog right but uh but yeah the 10r is a quite a nice little phone you know it's funny remember when it came out and the world was you know the sky was falling the world was saying oh it's not yeah. doing well and yeah. hit it, but now it's the biggest selling one but now speaking of commercials we were talking about earlier you've seen the commercial where the people are falling asleep and the phones are still going you know like it's outlasting oh, yeah, during yeah. the day kind of thing mm, i haven't seen that one. yeah that's a the latest iPhone 10R commercial. Hmm. Yep. But yeah, you know, that, that's right, Mark. That is something that was being said earlier. And I wonder if it's a, I wonder if it's a good workhorse phone that nobody's really going to jump out the first weekend or the first month and go get. But when things naturally come up, they're like, yeah, I guess I'll get that, that slightly bigger phone or the phone with more yeah. battery or, or I drop my phone in the river. I guess I need a new phone. Let's get this one. And then they just sort of like it. Well, it's a couple of hundred, maybe 250 less than, than an iPhone 10, right? Or 10s, I guess. Like, is it, is it like considerably old... less money, right? Yeah. Is it, is it, is it like a, like a station wagon? Is it like a Subaru? It's big. It's a, a bigger a phone, phone for sure. It's a big bigger bigger it's i think it's comparable if not slightly bigger than the the, the max but uh yeah it's 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 not it's actually not a shabby looking phone you know and if you put it beside like a 10 10s which is what i have like i don't have the max i have the regular one right it's not that much bigger really you know it's not like going from a 13 inch pro to a, a macbook pro to a 15 inch macbook pro which again still isn't really that much bigger in the long run but uh yeah it's not it's not like ipad pro 12.9 inch big you know in terms of compare that to a regular ipad you know because it's twice as big as a regular as the original ipads right so it, it's it's marginally bigger you know it's not it's not crazy like the six used to feel and the six plus i mean used to feel and the, and the eight plus they used to feel really big right Right, right. You've got you got bigger screen sizes, less forehead, less chin. It's a bit narrower, that. I think. Right? Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. It definitely does speak to you know. There's certainly fans out there, fans of the show, even who want an iPhone SE sized phone. And I wonder, yeah, in my mind, the only way that comes back is to have something roughly that same physical body size, but with iPhone 10 style of, of display technology so you end up with a considerable more amount of screen real estate than you would get on an iphone se today yeah i find it comical that you know 10 years ago we were all racing to get the smallest phone we could get you know yeah that's true well 10 years ago, i'm not sure 10 well, years ago 12 years ago 15 years ago but you know what yeah. i mean like the little nokias yeah. and the little motorolas that flipped open and you know yeah the- definitely 15 years ago before this before smartphones really started take, uh, getting popular getting yeah, like steam. the blackberry 
yeah. It was when a phone was just a phone. The whole idea was make that phone as small as you possibly could. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Yes, Cerebo. Yeah. Well, speaking of bigger, I mean, you got a story here. Yeah, they, they linked to the Verge article that describes what Mac Rumors is talking about, and I'd even recommend folks uh, go take a look at the linked tweet. So this is about changes to iPad OS in the latest beta. I've not tried this myself because I'm very conservative when it comes to that, so I, I can't really lay claim into whether this works or how well it works. But apparently you can change a, a setting on your um, your iPad to have either larger icons for your apps or more icons uh, on the home screens. I think it's time for some real-time follow-up as he opens his iPad 12.9. Yeah, yeah. See if that setting is there. It looks like it's under display and brightness. All right, let's have a look. I didn't didn't even know that was a possibility. Let's go. Yeah, the the screenshots make it look pretty interesting. Like, I I think for me personally, I would probably choose more because I don't really have a big issue with the size of the icons on on the iPad. I don't switch in and out of apps quite that often. So so. here's a a, a bit of an observation that I find is weird is that you know how you can have the the iPad OS has the screen where on the left-hand side you can have your notification center open all the time and then you can have your icons Mm -hmm. on you know two-thirds of the screen on the on the right hand side every time i open my ipad the notification center stuff is not there i have to swipe up from the bottom to try to incantate it i can't even do it now to get it to come up but anyway that's that's just one pet peeve but the other one let's go and you said display it is a beta i would i would point out yeah in fairness did did you say you are on the latest beta beta, my friend all right so what am i looking for uh, oh, icon size. Look at that. Let's go for the yeah, big, let's display, go for the bigger ones. Let's have a look and see the, what it looks like. The link in the show notes has uh, an indication of what that looks like. But I'm kind of curious how you how you feel about that, Tim. How how does it they do they seem like tiny little pebbles? Or do they still seem they, pretty well, usable? They, it still looks like there's a lot of room on this. This it still looks a lot, a lot of wasted space. But I've lost the ability to have my notific- notification center on the, the main screen, right? Um, and oh, it's, it's it's you know what? It's bumped a bunch of stuff over to the other side. So here's here's the thing I noticed about iPad OS when I first installed it. So I've got basically five by four icons on my home screen now and then i've got like a big long you know dock across the bottom but when i went to the smaller size i was able to get a whole nother row onto my screen i think i probably would have to would want to have it back with the more icons than the uh, than the bigger icons let's go back to that view yeah so it's it's kind of messed with my my layout great yet another thing to annoy me but yeah so now so now i've gotten back to that that view like i've got uh five by five yeah so i got 25 icons on the on the main screen plus my dock and then i can bring my notification center back somehow i can't figure out how to get it back you know the today stuff i'm talking about right i guess that's what it is yeah i mean it's it's uh Ooh, if i pinch it comes back it's a seemingly small thing but i do like the fact that it is available because that was always sort of the the weird knock and even the um the initial what is apple going to do like you can't just have the same number of icons and have them spaced out yeah you know this huge gaps in between and guess what that's what they did back in you know when the ipad launched and then we've had that for a very long time and i think yeah, sort of a callback to what we talked about if it wasn't last week it was like two weeks ago mm-hmm. he said oh you know would it make sense to rename ios as iphone os to really clearly have like these os's deal with phone ipad tv watch you know HomePod, or siri whatever the, the case may be there and so you can have things evolve slightly differently like i wouldn't expect to see this on iphone because that would just be it would just be silly if you made these you know much smaller more more compressed it's not it's not the same kind of problem where you had just like vast open you know single home with a 
like two acre yard sort of thing going on with iPad. I'm just I'm seeing these two, you know, versions of, of, of the OS evolve slightly differently, similar, but slightly differently just based on the strengths and weaknesses of the platform, I think is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just uploaded a picture to you guys on the Slack so you can see my, my iPad mm. 12.9. That's what I was talking about with the, with the notification, the today stuff it doesn't always appear when I go to open the iPad, but you can see how I've got like five by five icons, right? That's so quite, quite. Mm-hmm utilitarian from that point of view like you've got your your primary apps right front and center right but then, yeah, I, I, yeah i see and of course the awesome shot of the space shuttle discovery on the cover as well because <laughs> that's what you do you have the space shuttle discovery on your, your ipad well, it's awfully cold in toronto for the middle of summer 22 degrees uh, yeah 22 degrees <laughs> celsius um, going down to 14 apparently tonight even though it says 17 mm. here but yeah yes sir all right. Uh, was that what that was about? Just about the the larger, bigger icons? Yeah, it was sort of a you know, rather small feature, but it's the uh, I use this way too often as an analogy. But this is like Julius Caesar crossing the Rubicon. Nothing really major happened in terms of you know they literally just crossed a river, right? Um, but the implications were big. Wait, Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon? I thought George George Washington crossed the Potomac. No, both of those things happened. Yes. <laughs> I, I was like, I, 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 certainly the Delaware. I'm like. Oh, was it the, the Delaware? Delaware? Oh, Sorry, it was, Delaware. Delaware. It was the Delaware, actually. Yeah. Did he also, yeah, I was like, yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's yeah. been a while since I've been in school. So. Yeah, but he probably he probably uh, crossed the Potomac too. At some but point. did anybody notice? I mean, that, that, I guess that's the, the highest point, right? Yeah, the, the the Rubicon crossing over thing was like it's a fairly common thing for people to say, like, oh yeah, like it may seem like a small thing, but it's it's a big deal, right? Oh, is it? Okay. Um, well, it's it's a it's a point of no return mm-hmm. because what it mm-hmm. what it meant was so it, Julius Caesar was was one of the consuls of Rome, which was the leaders of the Roman Republic. Sure. Uh, and one of the ru- one of the rules of Rome was that you couldn't, as a general, he was also a general, actually, I'm not sure if he was a consul at the time, but but he was a general who's leading the armies up in Gaul. He defeated all the, 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 French, yeah. the, the you know, the Gauls. Uh, and one of the rules was that as a general, you could never bring an army into Roman territory or the, the actual Roman province. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, and the border of that was the Rubicon River. Uh, Okay. So when Julius Caesar started a civil war against uh, um, uh, who was it against Augustine? No, not not that one. Um, Pompey, I think. The same. The, well, Pompey, Pompey's a city. Yeah, the one who the city was named after. Oh, okay. Yeah, the city was named after this guy, Pompey. Uh-huh. I think it was Pompey, not Pompey. Pompey. Pompey was the guy's name. Mm. So he he started a civil war against the other one of the other leaders of the city uh, by leading his troops into Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he. When, once he crossed the Rubicon, he couldn't go back, and oh, okay. right. it was war. So crossing the Rubicon is, you know, when you've when you've gone past the point of no return. Oh, I see. Okay, good, good. There you go. More than just good. Well, I was going to say it almost <laughs> sounds like the, the uh, part of the uh, story behind Gladiator by uh, by um, what's his name, the guy who did uh, the Apple commercial, <sighs> movie guy. Come on, help me now. Did Blade Runner too? Oh, he'll come back. I see his face. I can think of his name. Scott Ridley. Scott Ridley. Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Scott Ridley's cousin, yeah. <laughs> All righty. What else do you got for us, Jaime? Save, save us from the le- the more than code. Yeah, um, this is actually a hardware thing, so it's it's also more than just code, I guess. Suppose In um, direction, yeah. This is there's an article here about uh, supposedly uh, according to Ming Chi Kuo, who we've talked about, is an analyst who seems to have a really good insight into what's going on in the supply chain. Is saying that uh, two of the 2020 iPhones will feature a rear time of flight 3D depth sensor, uh, as explained here. Time of flight is a kind of a fancy 
fancy term for shoot a beam at something and see how long it takes oh. in that flight path to return. And then you can calculate depth and distance from that. Cool. Um, seems like it's being touted as uh, for augmented reality features, which which kind of makes sense. And, and I'll talk more about that. And also uh, portrait shots. So you can do a lot in software. Certainly Apple does a lot of the portrait stuff in software, but they do use face mapping where, where applicable and uh, depth mapping where applicable. And, and you know other companies like Google do the same. Uh, I'm really interested in the augmented reality side of this because uh, somebody in the comments way down below um, says that like, oh yeah, I remember Project Tango. I'm like, yes. Yes, I do remember Project Tango. When I was working at Pointside doing indoor location mapping services stuff, really was interested in Project Tango from Google where they had this additional infrared sensor hardware to do uh, depth mapping, very similar to how like the Face ID works today. Or right, right. if you're more familiar with the Microsoft, um, uh, what is it called? Xbox Connect that would you know use depth mapping to figure out where you were in relation to the world. That at the time seemed like a really cool way for us to... to do mapping and and 3d mapping within a facility uh certainly that's one thing i think would still be applicable today but you can imagine doing mapping of like hmm, i wonder what what this you know this layout of this house would look like if we change something well let me just you know twirl my iphone around in a 360 and then you know grab an app that lets me say well what if we knock down this wall and uh what if we added a second level and do a virtual you know 3d fly through i think that'd be really cool and and powerful for that sort of thing. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I certainly hope it happens. It's uh, certainly another reason why I'm like, hmm, maybe I'll hold up for the 2020 phone. But you know what? <laughs> you know what? I I might just buy the 2019 phone and then see the 2020. And be like, that's better. I'm going to buy that one too. You know, just resell the 2020. Yeah, I wonder if you, I wonder like if a, you can point your your front of your phone at the moon and catch the beam that reflects off the mirror that it left on Apollo 11. Hmm. I mean, <laughs> I'd have concerns if it was like that strong of a beam. To <laughs> make it through yeah <laughs> to make yeah. it through the atmosphere and back true yeah. but hypothetically yes. possible i suppose yeah. it's not a laser no <laughs> <laughs> how do you know it's not a laser it could be an infrared yeah. laser well, you know, if, and we and, all be going blind watching our phones. Yeah, right? exactly. Like yeah. we're not going blind looking at our computer screens. Birds or, falling out of the sky right. as people try to reproduce this trick. You know. Yeah. Uh huh. All right. Uh, you're next up with the uh, GitHub thing, Jaime. Yeah. I before I even get into this one, I didn't want to go too much into the politics side of it and talk more, uh, focus more on the uh, developer community sort of implications of this. So, right. yeah. Uh, for those who haven't caught up, uh, there's an article here about. Uh, GitHub, which is uh, an American company uh, under the auspices of uh, Microsoft, uh, has restricted developer accounts in uh, apparently Iran, uh, Cuba, North Korea, Syria, and uh, Crimea. And the reason for this is um, apparently this is being done under U.S. trade sanction laws. So mm. again, not going to get super in depth into the hows and whys around it, but just the like, what's the implication here? Because we have a um, you know a global international community resource that. You know, unfortunately, has to live with somewhere, right? It's not a, ironically, not a fully distributed system here, uh, like it itself is. So, um, I am kind of curious how this sort of digital life thing will will work in the future. And it, uh, even though I'm certainly a pretty big fan of GitHub, I've enjoyed their tools, and I think they've done a lot of good things. Their hands are pretty pretty tied here. Hmm. Um, 
folks have also wondered like, Hey, like why didn't GitHub give them, uh, give people notice? Like th- this is very different. This isn't like, you know, you enjoyed this one startup service and then they just said, Hey, sorry, we're done the next day and you lose your data or something like that's, that was clearly like a decision made by that particular company in that case. In this case, U S trade sanction law is like, if it's something that you have to comply, you comply now. There's no, there's no grace period. So, uh, just hmm. to give a little bit of like heads up for folks is like, that's why GitHub didn't give the the heads up for this because they, they couldn't, right. They would not legally, uh, legally be allowed to do so. Um, so it's unfortunate. Like, I don't, I don't know the, the true answer here. Cause like, uh, uh, not to be scary in any ways, but like, let's look at like swift.org, right? So everybody is participating in Swift and it's beautiful. It's this open source community. And then, you know, politics happens somewhere. What happens? Would people be cut off from it? Probably. And, and I don't know of any good way by which you could, you know, have a globally connected community that still has, you know, real world uh, borders somewhere and, and, and laws somewhere. I, I don't know the answer to this. I'm kind of curious what y'all end up thinking about, well, about but, this. And but how this article is specifically saying it's, it only affects private repos, right? It doesn't affect public repos or, or any open source repos, right? That's my understanding, but I, uh, I knew it was sort of evolving. So I didn't know if that would continue to be true. Yeah. I don't, well, I don't know, but it, but it sort of makes sense. I mean, if something is public, then, then, um, yeah, they, they can't, I mean, presumably the, the, the reason that, that they'd want to do this is that some people couldn't be, couldn't be using this to transfer secret stuff. Right. right that's that's right. kind of the, that's kind of the, the logic behind it. Right. Hmm. Otherwise who cares, you know, if you're just storing code somewhere, but if it's public, then you can't really do that. Or, or it's easy, I guess it's easy to get caught, easier to get caught doing that. So, so there's less of a chance that, uh, that anything would, would happen. Yeah. I mean, certainly from a, you know, how much you interpret it, but I, I would kind of wonder if like, you know, hypothetically, why wouldn't it be expanded to public stuff? Like it, understandably the, like how feasible is it to prevent people from right. seeing things outside of well, their an- country? Okay, so another, another possible reason, reason this could be happening. And I haven't read the article closely enough, but uh, it might be about the encryption that they use. So there's mm-hmm. certain levels of encryption that you're not allowed to export outside of the U.S. Right. Uh, well, at, at least to certain countries. So if GitHub is using that kind of encryption for their private repos, then in effect, they are allowing that that technology out. You know, somebody over there has a private key uh, to unlock their, their stuff on GitHub. Then, you know, in theory, although highly unlikely, but in theory, they have enough, enough information to somehow crack the encryption. Um, yeah. Uh, extremely unlikely. Presumably yeah. that would apply for public account stuff too, since I would assume that the SSH key stuff that you can connect and um, and use with GitHub, you know, public or, or private, you know, free yeah, or but, paid. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't know, but SSH might not be as restricted as some of the more advanced security that they use for, hmm. for encrypting this kind of stuff. And and again, now I'm just supposing. I don't actually know here. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's tricky. Like, it's unclear to me why you wouldn't, hypothetically, like, as a reading, not saying I'm not a lawyer, I'm not, you know, uh, an ITAR and ear uh, regulation specialist, but if I had, you know, Jaime's cool rounded button dot Swift repo that people could look at, and 
I'm a you know a U.S. citizen in the United States, and uh, somebody from Iran is like, hey, that's cool. I'm going to use this or make a pull request towards it. Mm-hmm. I could see how some lawyer somewhere might say, hey, you you violated stuff here. We have sanctions against Iran, and therefore you have yeah. somehow enabled them. And so that's why I'm a little surprised it didn't go as far as the public. Oh, side. I see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's tricky. Because it's like silly. It's like, come on, man. Like, it's, <laughs> one, it's not my fault. I like, I'm not the one who's controlling access to this sort of stuff beyond the, the the reach of whatever my country's you know trade sanctions would fall under and then for two like how feasible is it like we've we've talked about like as a as a really silly aside we've talked about like hey what the heck why can't i see this movie trailer because i'm not in your country that's stupid like let me see your dang ad um and people work around it right they use vpns they do other things so it's 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 not more than a very you know minor inconvenience here so it's i'm unsure this is why i raised the question of like globally connected world uh with actual real world borders how do we how do we deal with that i don't know so you're asking whether or not the, the virtual wall should be extended to public sites as well i'm not suggesting that it should but i don't have a good answer for like a, especially even a pragmatic answer right. of like okay if you wanted to continue to have uh, an open source community for like your project and you wanted to make sure that you didn't get cut off because reasons you know political reasons how do you deal with it and i i don't know do, do we go back to the um like you know git is pretty good at this right and, and certain uh, linux followed us for such a long time of like you can email patch sets and yes now you as the individual have now become specifically uh you know on the hook for violating or not mm-hmm. trade sanction law um again not alert so i can't say for sure but it would enable development to continue but certainly with a lot less uh convenience and richness of communication that something like github has provided right that's why github got big there's alternatives like self-hosted GitLab repos and stuff it's like oh that's great but then they get cut off from some community in you know cuba i was like okay well what do i do now ship it to some third party and be like hey wink wink nudge nudge i sure would be completely unaware if you were to submit this patch set on my behalf to this repo and mm-hmm. give me the info back like i wouldn't go that way i would not suggest people go that route but it's it's unfortunate well for those of you curious enough that uh, to follow up on this um, they did the verge did reach out to microsoft and they have a statement at the bottom which they say it's very generic, but it still does. It sounds like it was written by the lawyers, but it says that, you know, GitHub is subject to U.S. trade laws and committed to full compliance of the applicable law. So that makes sense as to why they're doing that. I mean, it, it makes sense to me that they're doing this. Um, it's unfortunate that it that it affects those developers in those other countries. But, I mean, that's that's just sort of how the world works these days, right? So, and it's, and it's going to get worse and better in, in more ways than not. It depends on who ends up uh, running the, the large country that we're talking about and skirting around in November, right? Indeed. Too bad. November of next year. Next year? We have to go to a whole other year of this stuff? Oh, my God. Yeah. I feel like that way in the NHL, Tim, I'm like, hey, uh, oh, no, wait, it's one more year. I don't have to care about hockey for one more year one, when Seattle one, gets this team. Same thing. Okay. You lose track. See, when you don't have skin in the game, you lose track of well, that stuff. It, well, yeah, I do, I do recall that saying something probably a few years ago that, that, you know, the U.S. seems to run fine for three years and then they lose their mind for a year. Right? Yeah, we're just, we're just getting warmed up right now, I guess. All righty. Um, I'm a you again with the U. Oh, is this the same thing? No, U.S. No, this is yet a, another. <laughs> yet another law, but it is proposed and I think most analysts uh, if it isn't dead already, think this is silly. This would never make it through as a proposed law that in the U.S. 
that would ban infinite scroll in autoplaying video. Mm-hmm. So they proposed Smart Act, that is the Social Media Addiction Reduction Technology Act. A nice little background there is it's trying to address uh, the dark pattern side, right? The uh, designing things in such a way to be addictive, uh, emotionally, oh, okay. psychologically addictive. And a couple of reasons I bring this up. One, you know, in case it did become an actual law, again, I have doubts because, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, even LinkedIn, so many different companies would, would clearly be, be lobbying against us. But let's pretend it is law. What are the implications? I think for app developers, we may not agree with this law per se, but we should probably think, you know, what are sort of the, the ethical and moral implications of what we're what we're doing here, right? Like certainly you want to have higher engagement, but I, I at least personally don't want to you know, don't want to have people get addicted and start losing control of their lives here. I, I think this particular law it, where it has like uh, you need to have um, uh, like a 30 minute countdown timer and uh, reset resettable time limits. But, you know, uh, every single month the user has to set that time limit again. So basically just trying to uh, push things towards, um, you know, people not being sort of stuck and addictive to these things. And then I, I think, you know, the sponsor of this bill, like their heart is in the right place, but this is a terrible implementation of, of, a, of a law that just has all sorts of weird uh, unintended consequences consequences and side effects, I think. Like, for example, uh, autoplaying video. Yeah. I knew it would be very controversial to a lot of people. I would say separate autoplaying audio from autoplaying video, and it becomes a whole lot less controversial. I think nobody wants to open a tab in Chrome or Safari and just have their, their ears blasted by some stupid ad that's playing in the background. That's why so many of the browsers are um, eliminating, you know, autoplaying audio without the user actually interacting. But autoplaying video, for me, is something I actually like in, not in that context, probably, mm-hmm. <laughs> but in the context of uh, looking through, uh, like, my social media feed of, like, you know, other than the thumbnail, why is this video interesting? G- get me some content in the first three seconds, and then I can move on, or I can stay and, and watch. Uh, granted, I don't like that when I'm, like, on a, you know, a news site, and then it tries to cover my screen with some stupid video that covers things. Like, no, no, that's, that's a completely different problem. I don't think it's a, um, you know, an addictiveness problem, per se. But I, but I can see the argument that if if people are completionists and certainly and i know there has to be people listening right now to this very show who are uh completionists when it comes to let's say like twitter like how many people out there have the uh you know don't give me the algorithm set of tweets give me the latest tweets and i'm going to read every tweet since i went to bed last night to when i woke up this morning like there are people out there to do that so I, i totally get where this is coming from in terms of you know helping people's uh mental health life but uh i wonder if it's a bridge too far, a little step too far towards um, just being kind of like like a nanny state and, and not letting people, you know, give people the tools for self-control, but not actually controlling on their behalf. Hmm. I forgot about that setting. I mean, heck, I I, I know that uh, iOS has the uh, the screen time feature. I don't use it. No. I know I have a problem. Yeah. I don't need stats to tell me that, <laughs> you <Right>. know, <laughs> me sticking to my phone way too often, way too late into the night. Like that is my own personal problem that I, you know, I can deal with or not. And I don't, I don't know that I really need people to, to stop me on my behalf. Yeah. Doesn't that Twitter, the Twitter thing where you, you change the setting, doesn't it revert to what they want to be the normal behavior after a certain period of time or have they fixed Some that Some indeterminate period of time. I've, I've not been able to nail it down to like, you know, every 
third Wednesday or every two weeks or something. I think it's more frequent it than could that. Even, it, it, if I was being generous, it could even be a bug because bugs mm. happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like it happens often enough that I'd say, how can this bug still exist? But that's why I kind of think it probably is more intentional. But I, I do reset that to show latest tweets. Yeah, I, th- and, I, would, and not I think I would prefer that too to be the, the always on feature because I, I don't like this sort of presented format. I forget about, I forget you're right that you can turn that off, right? But because uh, I'd rather see life in chronological chronological order or reverse chronological order in this case when it comes to Twitter. Yeah. And if nothing else, it, it saves me from shame because if I didn't notice that it switched me back, I'm like, oh, that's a really good tweet. Let me reply. It's like, oh, oh no. It's four days Was old. that from yeah, like exactly. seven, yeah, seven days ago? Now I look like this weird creeper. Yeah. 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 I get some replies from people after like months so or retweets or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I, I know I'm victim of, of the, the Facebook thing because I get into a video on Facebook and I end up watching like probably four or five of them in a row easily. Right. So, especially- okay. So let's talk about that. So look, uh, a common thing that I will do, and certainly like Netflix would do this, would they fall afoul of this law? So, you know, you'll watch something like, you know, Stranger Things, yeah. like season three, and it's only like eight episodes. So I'm not recommending for your health that you do this, but you very well could start at the beginning of the day, you know, right from breakfast, mm-hmm. episode one, and then just sort of let it autoplay its way all the way to the end of the series and just binge it all in one day. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm a little bit more disciplined than that because you know i'll probably maybe watch three or four episodes at a time and then i'll go do something else with my life but, but i know what you mean the, the the temptation is there but uh well netflix is doing this thing now where if you watch a few episodes in the row in a row don't ask me how i know about this yeah uh, it, it will it will pop up a, a a menu saying hey are you still watching do you want to continue really and it makes you think about it yeah oh i yeah. have not noticed that yeah. mind you probably because i interact with the uh, the show a lot i tend to rewind things if i if i miss a point and or don't see something or go back to watch it again. So I think I'm probably more interactive with my, I don't just put it on and let it run, you know, mm, but I know maybe. what you mean. Yeah. Cause, cause there's a certain member of our family who likes to watch Peppa Pig and Octonauts and, you know, Space Rangers is the new one. Um, and she'll just sit there and watch TV repeatedly. And then, you know, we get the call, you know, from either to grandpa or grandma to come and fix the thing because it won't advance and so on and so forth. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I have had that, Mark. I've had that come up uh, during my binge sessions. <laughs> and it makes me think like, look, I understand this tool that I'm using is, is pretty dumb. So it's not connected into my life. So what if I could put in a, here are my normal hours. Like, look, I haven't fallen asleep. I'm a night owl. I'm not asleep before midnight. So don't ever give me that that little, uh, are you still watching thing mm. until you get beyond the time that I decide is normally my bedtime. Mm. Just a nice little, you know, usability enhancement there yeah the most annoying thing i find is like you know when you get you get you watch an episode and there's some really cool song in the in the the outro and and you know they got the credits come up and it skips ahead to the next episode and if you don't catch it fast enough to, to stop it from auto advancing if you want to sit back and enjoy the tune or whatever or even read the credits god forbid we should read the credits right I, yeah, and, they don't read the credits. It's well, all, they, you have to be fast. You have to, you have to, you have to hit yeah. the back button or the side button or something really quickly to, to get it to stop doing that but yeah. I'm admittedly not a credits reader, but that at the end of the series does annoy me because I, if only for selfish reasons, because uh, I don't know if any of this goes, you know, back to any of the, the makers, I like to go in and rate thumbs up or thumbs down on a series. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. do I like this thing or not? Do you do it in the middle of the series or do you wait till the end? No, no, at the end. So like, you know, let's say you watch the final episode yeah, yeah. and then it, it moves things into a small window, right. of like credits are playing. And it's like, oh, in 10 seconds here's this other thing we think you might like right watch 
watch the trailer for it. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I don't want to watch the trailer. I want to go and rate the end, uh, or sorry, rate the series or movie that I just watched. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Weirdness. All right, let's move on to our picks. So what have you got for picks today, folks? For me, I have the um, ADDC, I believe that is, hey, there we go, App Design and Development Conference mm-hmm. from the 2019 edition in Barcelona, Spain. Uh, I have not watched any of these, but they are on my list. Some of these seem pretty cool, like uh, Design System and Component Libraries at Spotify, the uh, Bringing Swift UI to Your App by uh, Dim Sum Thinking, Mr. Daniel Steinberg, a lot of folks mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and uh, N26's How We Built a Design System for Consistency Across Multiple Front-End Platforms at Scale. Some of these look pretty interesting to me. Hopefully some of the other ones are interesting to you. Mm, yeah. The link will be in the show notes for folks. Mm-hmm. What was I just thinking? Were you thinking about the fact that this conference it apparently has a uh, party on a boat that somehow <laughs> involves no. sausages, I think? I don't know if it's actual, if that's a translation problem or something. Meats of some sort. Meat? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'd like to attend this conference at some point. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, huh. I can't remember. It'll come back to me, hopefully. So, yeah, I wanted to talk about some of the uh, changes that happened in Swift uh, recently. Um, our friend, the bindable object is no more. I don't know if you guys have heard that. Have you heard that? Wait, bindable objects no bindable more? Bindable object is gone, lost and gone forever. Oh, my darling Clementine. Let me just get back to so, so I'm sure it has been replaced by something. It has. The, yes, the I, function I'm behind just it scrolling is back yeah. here to find it where it's, uh, yes. Yeah, so it has been replaced by observable objects. Um, and binding object binding has been ter- changed into observable object as well. And so this is this is related to coming out of combine or combine uh, rather than just native Swift UI, right? So I'm reading from uh, Rene um, Rene Cacho, uh on on our Wonderlic thing. He also tweeted out about the changes here too that. Um, I think um, did change is changed into will change as well. So this is sort of a, if you've been following along with the tutorials and stuff like that over the last couple of uh, weeks or so, um, you'll have to find you'll change your things uh, a bit more going forward. Yeah. So so many people are, yeah, some, some, like I said, online tutorials are going to have to change um, that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is definitely. Oh, sorry. Will uh, change is becoming object will change. That's what it is. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say this, this definitely seems like Swift UI 2019 is definitely uh, Swift 2014, isn't it? Where there's rapid and wild changes during the summer. Is that sort of the, the TLDR of Yeah, of this, well, uh, it's, it's still technically summer. in beta, right? So, right? So, yeah, I mean, I'm not complaining about it so much as making a, a, a comparison because they admittedly have not gotten uh, gotten back into SwiftUI and, and haven't spent time on it. But maybe I'll just wait till the dust settles in September and say, all right, let me. Uh, hopefully, the the Ray Winderlich book will be done there too. So I just crack that book open yeah. and say, all right, yeah. now that it's settled for you know six months, sure. let me let me see what's going on here. Sure. By the way, so uh, yeah, it's true. I, I did get a I got a SwiftUI book from um, from uh, hacking with Swift uh, two straws paul hudson so i'll have to have to see if there's an update for that but uh, speaking of which too the uh, last week uh, just a bit of follow-up we talked about the uh, ekg coming to the watch with uh, 5.3 and uh so the other day uh um, ios beta 5 came out uh, ios 13 beta 5 came out and it includes the health app that has the ekg in it however I don't have my watch on the beta, but my phone is on the beta, right? So they're still not paired up. Like, I still can't use the EKG function on my watch because my watch is not on the beta now. So, yeah, it's kind of an odd sort of um, pairing mix up there with, uh, with the uh, the latest uh, EKG option available in Canada. And I believe, where else was it available, Jaime? Do you remember? 
Australia or somewhere like, um, somewhere like that? Boy, that's a good question. When they expanded, it was a few European countries, I think. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, just an odd mix. So I have to d- decide whether or not I want to put the beta on my watch. Uh, but although I saw somebody typing on their watch, which is like a little keyboard came up on the watch in a tweet. So I'm not sure if that's a, a new thing as well. Lots of little changes here as we go, right? It's a moving target like it was in 2014. Was it 2014 that changes happened in the 1.0? I think 2014 was when Swift came out, so it would go from zero, zero point mm. one or something to 1.0. Yeah, and then 1.5 came out, I think, before the end of the year as well, right? Or sometime early in the new year. Then we- yeah, so I, I kind of wonder if, if SwiftUI will do the, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Remains to be seen. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I guess that's it for the show. Um, so Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right. And as I always say, my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. 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 This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find out details on how to help us out on the website, mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Now stick around for the after show, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. So, so it's funny. I was, I just like a, again, I re- resurrected another Mac last week, and I was, I was looking at this thing, going, okay. So this was uh, the, one of the Macs that I re- resurrected was actually Carol's Mac when her first Mac when we when we first met, you know, thirty years ago. Um, she, we, you know, they we had networking, you know, like we had a little ether, like a local talk networking, which was like running on phone cable, right? But and we used to share files, like that was like kind of one of the things we used to do. But there was no email, there was no internet, right? Um, yep. And even if you wanted internet, you had to use a modem to get on the internet, right? So, right, right. so it was like, so like now I've got this Mac in my house and it's working, and I'm like, but where do I plug it in? I can't. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no, you know, I have some of them. I have an Ethernet. I have an Ethernet dongle that I can plug in and, and run ten base T off them, right? But, but yeah, d- back in the day, we you, you had a computer, you did stuff, you printed out what you what you wanted to share because there was no other way to get it in front of somebody else's face, right? Um, and then email came along, and then we then a few people had email like i remember i worked in a company once where i was when i was general manager they were like i had 150 people under me i had like two three managers underneath me directly but then direct reports but but there was 150 people under my sort of area of the company and 20 of us had email right so the rest of people just like it was all word of mouth and you know you went over to somebody's desk and said hey you know it'd be really nice if you could use the new cover reports on the uh, tps reports on your cover you know really like you use the cover sheets you know yeah, yeah. and maybe you could come on on saturday and you know whatever finish up those tps reports yeah finish up those tps yeah. with the new cover sheets yeah exactly yep. but uh 
Yeah, it's it's funny like how work has evolved. Like today, like today I had to stay home because we had some people working on our garage roof and Carol it was supposed to be yesterday but we had a like huge rainstorm and so it just it that fit with her schedule. Today it was it was awkward for her, so I stayed home and worked and I sat in the kitchen and I was in meetings from from nine in the morning till like four thirty in, in the afternoon and I barely could take yeah. my eyes off to look up and see that the workers were still doing their thing, right? But yeah. you know, um and I worked through my lunch and but I mean but but I was still present in all the meetings. I was still participating, you know, using my phone to, to dial in and, and the WebEx to see what was going on, right? Like that, you know, that's that's the beauty of the where we are today, right? Is you can participate remotely and, and well Jaime, you work remotely every day, right? Isn't this your mm-hmm. your day every day? You're on hip slack and in meetings and on the phone and whatever, right? I mean, the the one benefit of being remote is that I can completely disconnect from that stuff if I need to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's useful to have it, but uh, I can sort of avoid the the normal chatter that might happen in an office and just avoid the Slack chatter unless somebody explicitly tags me on something. Yeah, but you're a developer now. You're not. You were you were a head engineer or something like that previously, right? Like, weren't you? Uh, it offer up. I was uh, lead iOS, so I would get pulled into more things. Right. And sort of naturally spent more time in um, hip chat is what we were using at the time. Yes, but less, but less coding is my point, right? Like more more meetings and subject matter expert kind of stuff, right? Yeah, it's more like kind of more like a manager schedule, like bouncing around and helping people yeah. and not really there focused on stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it's different now that you're working for Simply and stuff, right? Yeah, since I'm not a, a team lead, um, you know, as a senior, I'm probably get pulled into more things because mm-hmm. you know director of product might be like, hey, what do you think about this thing? All right, well, let me let me see what they want. Yeah, I mean, I, I do the same thing because, you know, I, I'm sort of, I'm still a subject matter expert on all the Mac-related issues, right? So I get a lot, of, I feel a lot of calls during the day of people who have this problem, that problem, and I just, you know, either shoot them a page where I put up some information in Confluence or whatever, or I'll, you know, talk them off the ledge if they're ready to jump off the ledge sort of thing, right? So <laughs> or they're chewing their hands off trying to get something done, right? But uh, yeah, even though it's like that's not my main my main function at the at the company, right? So, but you know, can't let them can't leave them hanging, you know? Yeah, true, true. So, yeah, it's amazing. Like like it's amazing. Like today, I helped a lady reformat one of the Macs and you know get herself set up and all that kind of stuff. And it just completely in hip chat, right? Didn't or yeah or hip chat? Yeah, it was hip chat. Yeah, we were just chatting back and forth, and I was telling giving you one step at a time and waiting for her to respond and that kind of stuff, right? So meanwhile, you know, in meetings and all kinds of other stuff, right? The future. We're living in the future. Flying cars and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I guess I better go watch some TV and cool down. It's probably like, what, nine o'clock for you guys there? Yeah. Yep. All right. You better go get caught up on the uh, CNN reports on uh, debates and stuff and figure, yeah, out, figure out who won, won like it matters, right? <laughs> anyway. Okay. I'll talk to you guys uh-huh. later. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye. <laughs> bye.